Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Saki. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you, of course, by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Make sure you get out there. They are open. The weather is beautiful, and so is the fun in the sun at Great Lakes Dragway. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, my Tennessee buddy, George Phillips, with his uh, oilpressure.com blog, one of the best when it comes to open-wheel racing. George, thank you for joining the show. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate you having me. So how was your Memorial Day weekend? You know, it wasn't that bad, uh, but I didn't really expect it to be. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, it kind of felt like a 4th of July. Uh, it was just a, kind of a low-key day, and and I think the fact that they have rescheduled the 500 to be about three months from now, um, I think that's kind of what kept me um, going. I think had it uh, had they just canceled it, then I think Memorial Day would have been very strange. But I was not really uh, uh, going through withdrawals like uh, like many people were. Right. Yeah. Same here. Uh, I've been I've been saying on the air for a while. You know, just getting projects done, in which we were doing, and I had uh, you know YouTube. I've, I've been saying this for for a while. There's a lot of neat stuff on YouTube, and I just basically set the the channel there's one of the channels had all the indianapolis 500s set up in chronological order so i put that puppy on uh starting with 1911 and obviously the early years some of the 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 videos are just newsreel footage and you know there's not a lot of footage there so some of those for the race is only three four maybe five minutes long and then as you come in after the post-war years uh, starting with 46, some of them are longer. You're starting to get to 10, 15, 20 minutes, and then the complete races are, you know, start coming later. Or the the the, the serialized, uh, you know, sponsor, you know, Champion Spark Plug presents the, you know, Indianapolis 500, those those race films. So, and uh, yeah, I just kept it on. I was working in the garage, working around the house, and you know, and and come into the front room here on the big screen TV, maybe sit down for a couple minutes and uh, watch a little bit, and then get back to work. So. That was a way for me to, to cope with the not having the Indianapolis 500 this weekend and that and saving a lot of money. <laughs> so. Yes, uh, of course, that's just, we're just, just going to shift that money from May into August. But, yes. Um, uh, but 
I um, it was kind of the same with me. I mean, uh, I did DVR the NBC special that they did with Rossi and Pagano and Mike Tirico on the Pagoda. But uh, I was actually when that was actually running, I was staining a fence in my backyard, and then I came in uh, that night. Uh, we 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 turned it on and watched it, and it was very well done. I'm, I'm glad I did watch that. Yeah, I watched that too. Uh, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched, you know, towards the end of it, especially the last, uh, that last segment, which was one of some of the best racing that we had out there. It was interesting, you know, getting Rossi's point of view, which I kind of figured, I kind of, you know, what he said was what I was thinking that, you know, that's pretty much all he had. And when he made that pass with uh, was it three laps to go, he didn't want to pass there, but he had an opportunity, and he wasn't sure if he was going to have another one, you know, after that. But he thought, I'm making this pass here, but I don't think it, I don't know if it's going to stay or not. So, yeah, it was really good and really insightful from two guys, uh, you know, kind of hearing the you know in, inside sports type deal, and and kind of hearing uh, them talk about that that. Last move that uh, Pagano made on the backstretch on the on the final lap, where he was just kind of sneaking his way down the backstretch, it was interesting to hear both of their perspectives on that. And uh, um, in fact, Pagano even said, uh, I think it was Pagano said that he was almost wondering if they would outlaw that move at some point mm-hmm. if everybody else starts doing it. Exactly, and I wonder the same thing, because uh, you're gonna have that where it just it's all it's gonna be cars, you know, you know, snaking down the backstretch, and nobody's gonna be able to uh, you know make a pass anymore. So that'll be interesting to see how they if they uh, in the drivers' meeting, I'm sure that's gonna be addressed. So, yeah. but I don't blame them. I you know, and and, and even Rossi says, hey, it was the last lap of the Indianapolis 500. I would have done the same thing times ten. So, yeah. So. Um... Uh, no, it, it was it was good, candid exchange between the two of them, and uh, uh, I really, I when Rossi first came onto the scene uh, right before the 16th season, uh, I'll be honest, I didn't like him. I thought thought he was very aloof, and I just thought he made it very clear he didn't really want to be here. And I have I've, I've gone 180 degrees on Rossi. He is. One of my favorite drivers out there. Yeah, same here. Yeah, well, and, and he came from that European kind of guarded every. You kind of got to guard your feelings, and everything is very measured. And he even had that that kind of uh, European English accent that Americans yeah. get when they stay in uh, Europe for any extended period of time. And yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think he. It took him a while to kind of be able to strip that armor that he got by racing in Europe, uh, you know, he was able to take that off and kind of become, I guess, for lack of a better term, Americanized again. Yeah, and even uh, while we were watching that Monday night, uh, hearing him being interviewed throughout the whole whole race, whole broadcast, my wife even said, uh, you know, it's just amazing how much he has grown up. Mm-hmm. He's a very talented driver, and that's that's never been the you know knack with him. I mean, you growing, you know, you could see in his career progressed and then making the jump to to Europe, which I'm glad he did. Uh, it's a risky move, and there's so many politics involved with with that road to Formula One, 
And, you know, for him to do that, I thought it was pretty neat, but uh, I'm certainly glad that the IndyCar series has him. He's a talented driver. I would have liked to have seen him succeed in Formula One, but I think he could have. But, you know, the politics are such, and and it's just craziness uh, right now trying to get an American in the Formula One. So uh, I think the IndyCar series is better uh, better having him uh, on their side. Yeah, and I'm very glad that he did not make the move to Penske uh, last yeah. summer when he was, um, you know, when his contract was up. I'm glad that he stayed with, with Andretti just for the, the balance of power. But I couldn't help but wonder, I had forgotten that he said this, but um, couldn't help but wonder just how did Honda like it when they asked him, what was the difference in the race? And his immediate response was one word, horsepower. And I'm sure they knew that, but uh, he did a little more diplomatically than <laughs> than Fernando Alonso did in Formula One. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you posted something on your Facebook page, and I I'd forgotten about it uh, with with the date, and that uh, you posted a remembrance of Eddie Sachs and Dave McDonough, who unfortunately were fatally injured in a crash in the '64 Indianapolis 500. That's a subject I, I, I guess, unfortunately, I know very well. And uh, actually, knowing Eddie Sachs Jr. and that, uh, what, 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 what kind of? I was kind of surprised you posted that. Kind of walk, walk me through that. Um, it was the really. I, I was not at that race. My father and my brothers were at that race. I was only um, uh, five years old at the time. But I was aware of the race, and I did listen to it on on the radio. My mother found it on the radio, and we listened to it. Um, it was it was basically my first introduction to the Indianapolis 500, and um, and then to I heard about the the, the crash and the fire, but then to see it, um, I don't know how much later it was. You know, we didn't have instantaneous. TV back then, but to to see that that crash even to a five year old was just I mean I'll never forget the first time I saw it and it's just kind of uh, it it has sort that crash has just sort of served as my introduction to the Indianapolis 500 so it was always kind of stuck with me yeah yeah it was one of the things that kind of interested you know as as a, as a somebody that's always been hit, you know, interested in the history of racing, and early on there was a, there was a, some very good um, uh, websites and message boards and whatnot uh, that that covered racing. There's always a lot of misinformation, and there's always been a, a bunch of us who've always been battling. And there was so much for for me. There's so much misinformation about that crash, especially on the Dave McDonald Mickey Thompson side kind of stories mm-hmm. that have been embellished over the years. And I was so happy that uh, Art Garner did that book, Black Noon, that kind of puts everything in perspective and kind of, you know, kind of uh, covers up those those falsehoods that have been kind of personified over the years, uh, especially regarding uh, the McDonald. Because, I've, you, know, uh, you know, let's face it, USAC racing in the 60s, uh, there were some road racing people coming over there, but a lot of there wasn't a lot of crossover, and the rank and file USAC didn't know who Dave McDonald was, even though he was a very talented driver and was probably going to be the next superstar in racing. A talented driver, of course, drove for uh, Shelby and 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 
was a fantastic road racer and had a style, uh, you know, was very, very talented driver. But unfortunately, got got a lot of blame and made a mistake. You know, I mean, let's not forget that. And with uh, however you want to talk about whether he was crowded by Walt Hangskin or not coming off at two, he was flying on that on that first lap. There is a one of the one of the I was mentioned it uh, you know early about you know like the champion spark plug and there there one of the one of those uh, move films on the '64 race actually has that first lap and a half where they go corner by corner by corner, and you can see McDonald moving up, passing cars uh, mm-hmm. on, the, on that first lap. So, uh, But that being said, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool that you remember those two guys. Uh, of course, Eddie Sachs, very popular wherever he went, especially in Milwaukee, where he drove the Zico Lube, the stock car, and actually won a race here in 61 at the Milwaukee Mile. In, in that stock car and just a fan favorite and very sad to see him go and of course dave mcdonald the young and up-and-coming driver and then also uh the other two drivers who became future indianapolis 500 champions bobby unzer and johnny rutherford uh who were also involved with, in that accident along with uh race car driver ronnie Duman, who uh got burned uh when he got turned by bobby unzer uh in the in the crash so uh, if you go on YouTube, uh, Johnny Rutherford talks about that crash, and it is one of the most unsettling stories you were ever hear. Him talking about his pers- his personal uh, travel through that crash. It's very chilling. Yeah, and I, I think that's where he talks about the lemon wedges. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when he found the one of the lemon wedges in um, in the front end of his car after the race that. Eddie Sachs wore he wore a like a metal hoop around his neck and he would suck on lemon wedges throughout the race to quench his thirst. And they found one of those lemon wedges in the front end of Johnny Rutherford's car after the race. Yeah, very very chilling uh, story. But uh, of course, of course this day is also the unfortunately the anniversary of a lot of fatalities because up until. You know, the early 70s, this was the the race day, uh, May 30th. This was the traditional Memorial Day back when, no matter what day of the week Memorial Day fell on, um, they ran the race that day. So uh, Bill Vukovic lost his life on this date. Uh, I mean, you can just go back yeah, paddle, paddle several there. several years and think about uh, the drivers that uh, were, were, were fatally injured during the race. Yep. Uh uh, happier times. We got uh, Texas yeah. coming up next Saturday. Uh, what, what are you looking forward uh, to the Texas race? No, no, they're going to be throwing some rookies out there, uh, pretty raw, aren't they? They are. I was glad to see they're at least going to give the rookies, uh, I think, a, a an extra thirty-minute practice session and possibly more tires. I'm I'm not sure about the tires, but um, I. They, I think the rookies need as much testing as they can get. Uh, uh, I just don't think uh, eye racing will will prepare them for what they're going to see uh, a week from tonight. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm a little apprehensive, but I'm always just slightly apprehensive before really any any high speed oval. Uh, but I think that um, I, I think that I'm expecting a good race. 
And I'm not wild about this. I've heard that they are going to um, have mandated 35-lap uh, pit windows maximum. I'm not crazy about that. I guess I understand why, uh, since there is no practice, and I guess they're concerned about the the the, the word that's always key at Texas, tire degradation. But um, I, I never like to see mandated uh, pit stop windows. Totally agree. Uh, George, we certainly appreciate you taking time out. And what's the latest at oilpressure.com? Um, well, I uh, uh, this past Friday, I did post about what we talked about. I talked about uh, how um, I did not really have that much of a uh, uh, May withdrawal because of the fact that the 500 is coming up in, in August. And then Monday, I've got a guest blog coming from someone across the pond. This will be, I think, his fourth time to post. Uh, his name is Matthew Lawrenson. He's a big IndyCar fan who lives in the UK, and he's going to be um, posting on, on Monday. But uh, uh, I post three times a week throughout the entire year, uh, even in the off season, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and it's at oilpressure.com. Excellent. I certainly appreciate it, George, and uh, we will chat uh, in the future. Steve, I appreciate it. All right. That was George Phillips on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Has your passion outgrown your home? A Great Midwest Bank home renovation loan may give you the space it deserves. Visit greatmidwestbank.com today. Simply local lending since 1935. Coming up next, Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com. Show, Steve Zaki, and joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline from RacingNation.com, it is Eddie Lapine. Welcome to the show, Eddie. Uh, hey, Steve. How are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Weather is beautiful up here and uh, enjoying uh, broadcasting from home once again. But uh, with days like this, I certainly do not mind it. Uh, RacingNation.com, you and Jack Webster once again uh, hit a home run here with, uh, you have an article on the kind of the current status or state of Formula One. Good stuff, and uh, the news has not been good uh, lately, especially with uh, uh, possibly the impending sales of, of Sale Williams, and then we're hearing layoffs at uh, Team McLaren. Uh, what's going on in Formula One, Eddie? Wow, it's, it's in a big, big world of I, I would say hurt right now. I mean, with not racing, first of all, starting there is one of the biggest deals. But, you know, uh, the layoffs, uh, negotiations, trying to get drivers. Uh, I mean, they're signing drivers for $30 million, and they're laying people off in the next swing. It, it just totally uh, doesn't make any sense in today's world of the way the economics are are going right now and f1 is is one of those i mean take a look at the story it's pretty good jack and i have been working on it for a while now and we wanted to get it up soon because a lot of things are happening uh, williams formula one team with such a great history in racing uh is up on the blocks for sale now for starters 
and McLaren has asked for loans from the government, the banks in England, and just it, it's just crazy. I mean, these budgets. Next year, they want to F1 wants to impose this one point. I mean, 175 million dollar budget for racing. And it's crazy. If you told Roger Penske he could have $175 million to race, he would be ecstatic. Mm-hmm. But here you got Ferrari that's complaining about it and other teams that are just suffering. I mean, they're at a loss. Williams lost $19 million last year, and these drivers are getting paid exorbitant fees and they're not even racing. And yeah, is- take a look. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting, you know, in in you you think, you know, uh the the we're we're down to 10 teams, 20 cars, and that could easily go down to 8 uh with 16 and then there's always the there's always this rumblings about the, about the Haas, the of course the American Formula 1 team uh led by uh industrialist Gene Haas who is just hemorrhaging so much money keeping that afloat. And and there's always been kind of people always kind of whispering like, okay, we understand why he's doing it, but how long is he going to do this? How long can he do it? So there's always that caveat there. So, uh, but I thought uh, you you guys brought up a great point here, and it's not only Formula One, but it just in general in in racing is is how the loss of tobacco money has has really hurt racing in general across the line i mean just using i mentioned this before in the show uh just with the milwaukee mile with the indycar race philip morris would buy a certain amount of marlboro would buy a, a certain amount of tickets from every event and having that that was kind of almost like your season ticket base uh having that having them along and and they they, they did not get a deal they bought those tickets at face value. So for a promoter, that was so nice having that little that that, that built-in padding of of Philip, the Philip Morris money come in and the Marlboro money buying those tickets. And then of course you had your season ticket holders. So already you would probably had anywhere from 30 to 40 percent your tickets already sold before you even sold your you know a uh, single ticket. So that that way would tobacco was such a a, a you know, helped these teams, sanctioning bodies, and track so much, and it certainly has, uh, has hurt the Formula One paddock, hasn't it? Oh, definitely. I mean, that's when Jack started in the '70s, and I started in the '80s with Formula One. The tobacco money. I mean, if you looked at every car, pretty much either the driver or the car was sponsored by a tobacco company. And it just escalated over the years, the tobacco money that Philip Morris was writing out. And then when Jacques Villeneuve went back to Formula One, I mean, when he won the championship and moved on to his own team, basically, with Lucky Strikes and British Tobacco Company, I mean, they were just pouring in just an unbelievable amount of money. And it just kept escalating to the point where, the bubble has finally came and it's exploded. And and that's what I came up with. The the title of the story, fantasy Island. It's basically what it is. I mean, Bernie, you know, you guys too, when we talked about it five years ago, when I told you guys about formula E, uh, 
here we are right now. And quotes from Adrian Newey about at Red Bull about saying that F1's at a serious crossroads. And you see Bernie Ecclestone bails out of Formula One. And Liberty Media steps in, and it's it's been just a money pit to try to keep it afloat. And I just, it, it's very difficult. It is the most prestigious type of racing in the world and viewed by the most amount of people across the world. But when, when you're, when the car count starts dropping below 20, I think it's going to be very alarming and you only have a handful of manufacturers that are involved in it and they're all getting out basically. And right now is a bad time because these car manufacturers are not selling the cars they were selling six months ago when before the pandemic started. And that's really expedited the the racing problems with IndyCar, Formula One, and even NASCAR as well. Yeah, it certainly has. Uh, let's switch gears. We're talking to Eddie Lapine on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, uh, switching over to IMSA, and uh, IMSA is finally going to get back on track, finally. And they're going to returning on, uh, was it December 3rd and 4th weekend at uh, Daytona? Is that the return of the Paul Revere 250? <laughs> Well, July 4th, it's going to, uh, it's going to be, yeah. yeah, July 4th, they're going to run Saturday night. That will be the first race with no fans at Daytona. And then they're going to move on to Sebring and try to make up these two races. Yeah. It's just like the race they used to run at Daytona on NASCAR weekend. It was a good race and hopefully this will just help, you know, everyone, all the Man, I mean, all the racing bodies are watching NASCAR right now because let's face it, I kudos to NASCAR for going forward with what's going on right now and at least racing and, and doing everything to be safe about doing it media-wise and crew-wise. And I think everyone is looking at that as well as IMSA, IndyCar, and next week, IndyCar will be starting in Texas with no fans. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it's going to prepare everything for Road America IndyCar for the next race. Right. And then, uh, and then of course, uh, then uh, IMSA 2, uh, July 31st and August through August 2nd at Road America 2 for the sports cars. So looking forward to that. And uh, uh, Eddie, anything else? What, what's going on in Florida? What's the word out there with... Uh, with, with everything, Florida's opening up, and I mean, is local racing starting to pick up? Have you heard, or what's going on down there? Well, yeah, a lot of little short tracks are are starting to do. You know, I mean, starting to race some of the go kart tracks, uh, the dirt go kart track. I uh, was going to go out to. They're up and running, so people are you know being cautious, but mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you can only keep race people down so long. Uh, we have to, we have to do something. Uh, I racing just doesn't cut it. No, it doesn't, especially with what with the whatever with Daniel Apt and all that. It's just, it's gotten a little out of control with the I racing and all the controversy that's gone gone along with that. So certainly appreciate uh, racing returning, real racing returning on the tracks uh, throughout the U.S. here in the next coming weeks and. Of course, this weekend, too, at Bristol. Eddie, we certainly appreciate you taking time out, your busy schedule coming on the show. Looking forward to chatting with you again. 
Thanks a lot, Steve. I wish you guys well and uh, can't wait to see you at Road America. You bet. And, of course, make sure you check out uh, Eddie's and Jack Webster's uh, stuff at RacingNation.com. Coming up next, we're going to play three questions with Larry. Coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. The Final Inspection Show. And Steve Zaki, Ellen, joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. It is Larry Janicek with one of my favorite segments, Three Questions with Larry. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, Steve. I might be doing the same thing you're doing. In the background, I have a motorcycle race from Road America on live. I got the, I got the SpaceX launch. Uh, Oh, yeah, it's coming up in about yeah, 40, they got a goal. 45 minutes. 45 minutes, and the weather is a go so far. So. Oh, great. No, no, no great. issues there. So. Oh, we got a beautiful what, day here in Wisconsin. We certainly do. A little cool, but I am not going to complain. So. No, no, uh, not at all. What do you have for question number one? Okay. In the total history of the Indy 500, there are three examples of three or third-generation families having grandfather, father, grandson drivers competing in the Indy 500. Of course, not in the same one, but uh, where they've had three families with uh, three generations. Can you name the three families? Um, so you got grandfather, father, and grandson. Three generations. I'll give you a hint. Two of the families have won the Indy 500. Two of the families have won the Indy 500. Well, um, see, I'm thinking... I can think of grandfather and grandson, but there's nobody in between, like uh, um, like the Foyt, like A.J. Foyt and his grandson, A.J. Foyt IV, or there's there's uh, the, the Palettis, who, Teddy Pallette, who attempted to run in the early 80s, and his grandfather ran in the teens, uh, the French driver, but I'm just, um, I'm overthinking this one, and then... Um, uh, all of them would been would have been uh, <clears throat> since uh, the 1950s and onwards towards our, uh, our time. These broad brush ones are really screw me up. Um, it's oh yeah, Marco Andretti. There you go. So there's Mario, Michael, and Marco Andretti. Correct. Um, and that was accomplished in 2006 when Marco yeah. uh, ran in this first one. It's hard to believe he's ran in that many. He's been in that many Indy 500. Right. Wow, it's and terrific. And of course, they were one of the winners. Their yeah. family with Mario winning. Um. Boy, I'm stumped on this one. 
I mean, all I'm thinking okay, of is like Bob Lazier, Buddy Lazier, and 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 guys like that, and the Yunzers, and um, yep. Boy, who else? Is got to be Grandpa, Father, and then uh, Grandson. Oh wait, I got one. I got it. Uh, Bill Vukovic, uh, Billy Vukovic, and Billy the Third. Absolutely. That was okay. accomplished in 1988 when Billy the yep. Third raced in a 500. Super There's nice. one more. They didn't win the 500, but a really big international family name for racing. This is one that was, I, I was dumbfounded. I, I, I had no idea this one at all. I need a hint. And it was accomplished in 2016 when the grandson ran the Indy 500. 2016. Ah, uh, Interna- international name. International name. The Brabhams. Oh, Matthew Brabham. Yeah. Yes. So I'll yeah, tell Jack you that Brabham, one. Jeffrey, and then uh, Jeff Brabham, and then Matt. And that, and that's yes. a kid who talented, talented driver too, and just has not been able to put together a financial package to get into a decent racing program. So mm-hmm. yeah, he should definitely be running. If if not a full program, at least a partial program in IndyCar. If not IMSA, you know, definitely IMSA full time because he's got a lot of talent. So yeah, that's a shame. Yeah, an interesting group of people there. Yeah, it is. All right, what do you got for number two? Okay, IndyCar races at Road America have produced seven first-time IndyCar winners. How many of the seven can you name? Uh, well, let's, let's walk through here. Uh, of course, 82 is the most. I love this stat. Uh, of course, the first kart race, IndyCar race, at Road America was 1982, won by Hector Rabake, who was driving for Forsyth Racing. And, of course, Forsyth Racing is uh, was uh, very famous with players and Greg Moore and all those guys, but that was their rookie team. Uh, and Danny Sullivan was, was uh, also drove with them at Indianapolis. Uh, Hector Rabaki only led one lap in IndyCar competition, and it was the last lap of the of the Road America race in 1982, and that was his last lap in competition in IndyCar. He never drove another IndyCar race again. Well, I knew that was his only IndyCar win, but I never realized that was his only IndyCar mm-hmm. race. Wow. Uh, and then the other one I'm thinking is uh, uh, Uncle Jacques Villeneuve, which would have been in 85 or 86. Not to be confused with the Indy 500 winner Jacques Villeneuve, who was the son of Gilles. Uh, uh, this uncle, or as they call him, Uncle Jacques, was the brother of Gilles. Uh, mm-hmm. So he'll be a racer, too. And I believe that was his only win. And That's correct. And that was in that Canadian tire car. Uh, which Johnny Parsons, he, he got hurt at Indianapolis, and Johnny Parsons took that car to fifth place. So that, was, that actually was a decent uh, package they had together uh, with that team and, and crew and that. So um, let's see who so else. Then there's five other ones, additional ones. ones. Holy cow. Um, got their first IndyCar win at Road America. See, I'm thinking, you know who I'm thinking? I'm thinking of uh, Nelson P.K. Jr. in the, the NASCAR race. Uh, nope. Nope. <laughs> that ain't no, yeah. going to help me. 
Uh, give me a years. Give me give me a couple of years here. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't have the years. Ballpark. Well, give me a hint then. Uh, one of them, uh, the first name has already been used uh, with one of your first two answers. Same first name. So you know it's not Hector Robaki. Yeah, Jacques. The, the young Jacques Villeneuve. Yeah, but that wasn't his, his only IndyCar win. No, no, his first IndyCar race. Oh, first IndyCar win. I'm thinking only IndyCar yes. win. Oh, yeah. Okay, no, first. first IndyCar win. Yeah. Oh, um, Allinger so Jr. Uh, no, no, it wasn't Allinger Jr. It wasn't Michael Andretti, was it? Uh, no. Uh, let's see who else won up there. Some pretty big names. A three-time uh, champion, a three-time Indy 500 winner, the same guy, Dario. Dario? Oh, yeah. And Dario yeah. still owns, I think, the fastest lap, all-time lap at uh, Road America, too, if I recall. He's got the lap record. The other three are Christian Fittipaldi, uh, Bruno Giancara, and Ag- Alex Tagliani. Alex Tagliani. Okay. Very okay, good. So, got time for one more? Yes, quickly. Okay. So far in the 2020 NASCAR Cup Series, what driver has exceeded your expectations and what driver has had the most disappointing season in your mind? I, yeah, I would I would think the most disappointing uh, uh, up until last weekend was Ricky Stenhouse. Um, Christopher Bell has also uh, not gone very well. His season's not, but that's it's a new team. And I'm thinking she showed a couple of glimpses the last couple of races, but um, very very frustrated with Christopher Bell. And uh, most surprising, I would probably say his consistency of late is Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney has looked very very well, even though he hasn't won. That's why he's my pick this weekend. And. Jimmy Johnson, just very frustrating for him. He's got to be on. If you're a Jimmy Johnson fan, this has very been been very ugly. Uh, I'll tell you who it is. Uh, Alex, the the 88 and 24 cars. Uh, Alex Bowman and William Byron, I think, have really shown glimpses of, uh, of why they got hired by Hendrick. Yeah, Bowman's fourth in the points, and you mentioned yep. Blaney. He's sixth. Yep. Uh, and then William Byron has looked good, uh, even though he hasn't been able to put everything together yet. But he's he's had some uh, some very strong runs. So the the kids are looking good, and of course, obviously Chase Elliott too. So yeah, Hendrick, and uh, Dennis mentioned uh, uh, Tyler Reddick. Yeah, he's really done. And then uh, Matt DiBenedetto is eleventh in points, and he's yeah doing pretty well first yeah, year with the Wood Brothers. Yep, he's been patient and uh, hasn't, you know, hasn't screwed up too much. <laughs> so, yeah, but yeah, yeah, the pressure has been on. Ed, uh, Larry, we certainly appreciate it, and uh, thanks for taking time out. You bet, As Steve. Always. Hoping for a great launch today from Canaveral. Oh yeah, yep, uh, same here. And uh, looking forward uh, to enjoying this uh, weather. We'll we'll uh, chat with you next week. Okay, Steve. Take care. Bye bye. 
All right, that was Larry Janicek on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Has your passion outgrown your home? A Great Midwest Bank home renovation loan may give you the space it deserves. Visit greatmidwestbank.com today. Simply local lending since 1935. Coming up next, we're going to hear from Adam Stevens, the crew chief for the number 18 car of Kyle Busch. Some very interesting stuff uh, I found interesting on NASCAR uh, audio this week. Uh, we'll be playing that next on the Final Inspection Show. Steve Zaki on the Final Inspection Show. Welcome back. I'd like to thank uh, George Phillips from Oil Pressure Blog uh, for coming on the show along with Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com, Larry Janicek, and, of course, Dennis Michelson, and, of course, the Polish pipe bomb, Jeff Orlowski. We're going to hear from uh, uh, Adam Stevens, crew chief from Joe Gibbs Racing. Good stuff here. Asked about setting up a car from Bristol. It's a long list, my friend. <laughs> uh, the biggest thing at Bristol is how much the track changes through the weekend. And now all of that's going to be consolidated to just the race. Normally you kind of end up <clears throat> or maybe start your, your Sims and your setup very close to how you ended the race. And with the track being green and not much rubber down and the uh, PJ one being generally slick until it gets warmed up. Um, you need to do a couple things to get through that part of the weekend and kind of undo them as the weekend goes. But we're not going to have the luxury of, uh, you know, the track changing the 30 or 40 or 50 percent that it would from the start of practice to the end of practice uh, and then starting the race from there. You know, we're going to go through that whole entire swing just in the race only. So um, it's going to be an absolute handful, probably the first 50 or 100 laps of the race. Um, but to, to be your best at the end of the race, you're going to have to find a way to uh, navigate through that. Okay. Well, you know, we're going to open the floor to questions now. Uh, if you have a question, click on the participants icon and raise your hand. We'll get to as many questions as possible during our allotted time. We're going to start with Bob Pockers. Go ahead with your question, Bob. Yeah, Adam, how would you evaluate the last uh, 11 days for you and your team and how will it impact you going into Bristol? Uh, like performance wise or workload wise? Performance wise. Um, 11 days. Where does that take us back to? Darlington? Or? Yep. Okay. Um, I mean, in general, I would say <clears throat> we're not as competitive as we want to be. And we haven't ex executed like we wanted to. Um, we've managed to get a couple good finishes in there. Um, managed to get a couple poor finishes. Uh, the poor finishes were probably more poor than what they needed to be because of uh, mistakes or circumstances we, we uh, fell into in the race. You know, the first Darlington we started in the back right when I failed tech and then uh went to the back fixing damage uh had the jack bleed down on a stop um and then we weren't very fast on top of that so all of that adds up to a pretty poor finish um second Darlington was okay not good enough to win but uh you know in the mix there at the end first Charlotte was okay um felt like we didn't have enough to win and, and really wanted to try to move the needle and work on the things that uh, were holding us back. Um, and we attempted to work on all those things and just found a whole new set of problems to hold us back instead of fixing the old problems. And, uh, you know, didn't really, once, once we had the flat tire and got stuck laps down, that was kind of the end of the day. We had no opportunity to get back on the lead lap, only one wave around opportunity. And then, uh, no real lucky dog chances. So, um, <clears throat> and the car was damaged at that point too. So, 
Um, overall, I would say uh, been a disappointing start. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but uh, you know, you'll have stretches like that. And uh, I think we got to get our program a little bit better. And then internally as a team, we got to do better. There he is, Adam Stevens, the crew chief of Kyle Bush, as they look ahead to tomorrow's race at Bristol coming up at noon, the supermarket Heroes 500. That's going to do it for us here on the final inspection show. Steve Zotke, Jeff Orlowski, myself, Mayor Mitch. We'll talk to you guys next week here on The Fan. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.